Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Nothing better sums up the shambles that Man United have been over the last five years than looking at your £50 million right-back, four times Champions League and World Cup winning centre-half, the most expensive defender of all time and the most expensive teenager at one time and deciding we need to get Victor Lindelof in there with them. <laughs> and the, the worst thing is that it fucking worked. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took I am so fed up feeling the breath of Burnley Football Club on our necks. I'm sick of it. I'm sick looking over my shoulder. I hate, I hate that we just have to continue to worry about what Newcastle are doing and that Leeds are picking up more results. I'm like, when will it ever end? Like, when can I stop looking out for Norwich's results? It's, uh, it's sad. Like, this, this is now... Um, 12 goals conceded in under a hundred or 360 minutes. Bad, bad, bad run of results. Four games and I don't even know if anybody's listening anymore because why would you? Why would you come and listen to an Aston Villa podcast when they are playing as dismally as Aston Villa are playing? And Liam, the only thing I can really say about tonight's game is that it was also inevitable. It reminded me of when you used to watch the traditional big four back in the noughties playing against a team who just weren't as good as them and nothing really happened but one team being better than another team and sometimes you didn't need any moment of magic or brilliance or any bit of genius from the managers to, to win the match they just did because they had better players all over the pitch and that's what it felt like tonight Aston Villa at home to West Ham yeah and there, there was no team that I wanted Aston Villa to play less than this West Ham team Bigger, stronger, more streetwise, and they just fucking destroyed us. It was pathetic. You're talking about feeling the breath of Burnley on your neck. The fucking spirit of Burnley inhabited us tonight from the (laughs) very first kick of the game. Deciding to lump it forward is bad enough, but lumping it out of play is a disgrace, and it really set the tone for the game. And what has happened to Aston Villa Football Club? What has happened to Dean Smith? I, I know Douglas Louise was out, but as if that's a hammer blow. 
the way they're playing is an absolute disgrace. What are we working on in training? Are we just getting Nakamba to stand in midfield and then tossing the ball over his head in the general direction of a centre forward, regardless <laughs> of his position on the pitch or the other team's defenders? It's pathetic. It's also amazing that someone like Konza has developed so much if this is what he's being faced with in training every day. Like, is, it, is this what Dean Smith is? Is this what he wants me to think? Ten years in management and his innovations are tossing the ball up the left wing, hope the opposition right back slices one out of play and then get our right back across to throw the ball on long. The most frustrating and depressing thing about all that is that that is our best avenue to attack and I'm annoyed that we don't do it more. Like we, we we don't lump it up more often, like because we seem to be doing nothing, and then when we do try to go forward, it, like that's the only way forward. It's so grim. Like I would actually prefer if they said, right, this is what we're doing. If this is like, is this what Dean Smith has succumbed to? Then like, let's just do it. But at the minute, it's just some sort of halfway house between nothing and well, essentially nothing, only a hoof ball of nothingness. It's uh ah, oh, like it, it, it's so it's so so frustrating, and like I I can't even. I can't even drum up the words now sometimes like to think of how how badly things are going. You're talking about Konza there. I suppose we can we can get into the, the red card debate. Like, but just before that, I was thinking this is this is a team now, right, who for probably the first time in their careers as Aston Villa players are facing a Villa Park that's frustrated. Like, you know, that that hasn't happened. We've seen it a lot over the years, and sometimes it can be a it can be a bad place for players who can buckle under that pressure and coming into this game, playing badly, three defeats on the trot. I thought this is this is one now you'll have to keep an eye out for to see who who stands up to it or not. And do you know what? Like, yeah, like they were on top of them sometimes, but even a two-one down, even with a man down, the, the crowd got behind them. And actually looking at it, they were, like the, the biggest roar was when the camera chased out to the right wing, slid tackle, got the ball to Matt Cash, they won a free. And everybody was right behind them. And I thought, they're not asking for much. (laughs) (laughs) Fans generally don't. Like, all they want. And this goes back to an old Johnny Giles phrase. And I actually don't think I ever listened to it enough or, like, appreciated what it meant. Because he said it all the time. But honesty of effort. Like, like, that's all people want. And not just lip service effort. Honesty. Honest, hard work. That's all people want. And... The really annoying thing is when Villa scored to go on equalised for about two, three minutes before the West Ham goal, they were, <laughs> they, they were all up and they were suddenly playing a good, a good bit of football again. And that just shows that it's it's a mentality thing. They are playing within themselves. It's up to Dean Smith to get that out of them because the fans are there willing to cheer them on. I don't think fans care that much. It is annoying when somebody miscontrols a ball or misplaces a pass. But for the most part, they just want people giving their all and actually giving their all, not pretending to be giving their all. Yeah, and the only th- the other thing that Johnny Giles asked was, you know, would those players kill their granny? That's what he wanted to know. <laughs> and Aston Villa don't have a single granny killer on that pitch either. They Ironically, were... just to cut you off, he was saying that about John Terry. <laughs> <laughs> he's being linked with a village job at the minute but um, less said about that probably the better but he did say uh, I don't know which two teams it was but he said I look at John Terry there and it'd kill your granny I don't think these older boys would do that <laughs> and like yes, yeah, sp- speaking about killing people I mean the, going back to the cons of red card that was just an absolute horror show like, Ashley Young it all starts off with Ashley Young 
who hasn't a fucking clue how to play centre midfield because he's a former winger that has played at left back for the last six years, gets swarmed because he dwaddles on the ball like someone that has never played centre midfield before. And he pokes the ball out to target like someone who has never played with Matt Target before because he expects him to run to get the ball. If you want Matt Target to get the ball, play it into his feet or forget about it. Yeah. Like, enter Marvellous Nakamba now, who hasn't a fucking clue how to play centre midfield because he's shite. Absolutely pegging it out of the centre of the pitch to try to win a 70-30 ball to West Ham. Like, what an absolute moron. And then exit Marvellous Nakamba, stage left, with the shittiest cameo of all time as the camera just pans to the right as the ball flies into the space he wants and still should be occupying. Courtney House, your turn to make a fool of yourself. And in the process, Dean Smith as well. Lunging in with your wrong foot, turning your body away from the ball and swinging your arms like you're doing the breaststroke for your pull of custard. Why, he was an absolute fucking mess. What was he doing? Everything about that just looked technically bizarre. You know, Esri Kanza has a 2 0 one all of a sudden. Wins the ball in the first tackle. Gets unlucky that it falls to Bone, who does brilliantly to take his space. And Kanza takes his heels. And it's the most obvious denial of a goal-scoring opportunity you'll ever see. But why is it? Because Ashley Young, who we all thought had been killed off in the first scene, comes back to fucking haunt us, strolling back into position, yes. waiting to see if Kanza can put two, the two-on-one fire out. Ashley Young, if he fucking bollered his arse and actually ran at 70%, if he was five yards closer to Martinez, which is where he should have been anyway, Kanza stays on the pitch. And look, what odds? It would have been a big issue if it wasn't for the fact that we were able to get Mings on. We were allowed to sub off a player who wasn't playing anyway. We were able to continue with the same number of players that have been playing for the first 50 minutes because Emiliano Buendia is an absolute arsehole. <laughs> and you know what? Like You summed all that up perfectly. The only thing he left out was at the very, very, very start where it all begins with a terrible Buendia touch. And that's when... The target thing comes into it, and that's when the camera overcommits, and that's when Courtney House Courtney House should have been volunteering himself as tribute to come off with a red card. <laughs> he should have been pleading with the referee. Have you not seen the elbow in the face? Give me the red card. Like, like that would have been the best thing he could have done with Villa. Like it's oh, it's, it's it's so annoying. Like I, I, yeah, like the Ashley Young thing is pathetic because I I was there thinking. But he's so wide, and the commentators were saying it as well. It's obviously what Smith was complaining about, and we'll probably hear about it now for the next week that we, we got a man sent off that we shouldn't have. But you're right, if Young was two steps further, if he, he tried half of his arse to get closer to the box, then the referee can just say, ah, no, nah, there's somebody else there. Something might have happened. And like, I still think Bowen went down. Um, I think he denied himself a goal-scoring opportunity by going down a bit easy. But um, I probably would be complaining if it was the other way around and that was a Villa player's heels he got taken. Ah, it's it's so easy to fall over whenever someone clips the back of your heels like that. If someone runs past the back of you, you nearly always fall over, no matter how much control you have over the centre of your centre of gravity. If it's a Bowen, I don't think Bowen is looking for anything there. There's no way that Bowen's not free on goals there. If anybody starts complaining about that red card, then they know nothing about football and the current rules. Fuck me, 9 minutes, 40 seconds, and we haven't gotten any of the goals. Let's go. Uh, 1-0, Johnson. Like, what I will say is a target does really, really, really well to make sure he's not beaten down the line. 
and like we have to break this down, right? You know, like yeah, what happened afterwards is is it's all hindsight as well. But we can we can look at that in a second. But Target's only concern was not being exposed for peace, and he <laughs> he stopped that happening. He stopped. He just he just moved over in front of Johnson and said, "You can't come down here, mate. Good luck." And Johnson said, "All right, I'll go inside then and put it in the bottom corner." <laughs> yeah, but that starts as well because. Target has to tuck in to follow Bowen because House has gone for a Ming's meander up the pitch, just standing 10 yards in front of his free defensive partners because he's followed Antonio out to 50 yards away from goal. It's fucking mental. And like I've always said, if you allow a defensive situation to develop where Target has to run 20 yards and also turn his body, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's scary how quickly though um, Johnson can get away from. Him. Well, it's it's not it's it's not it's scary. Not... It's pathetic. Connor. Johnson doesn't do anything. Johnson just turns onto his left foot. I mean, it's the most basic thing in the world. Target is correct to try and make sure he can't go down the wing, but you can't just commit yourself fully to stopping that. Like <laughs> Target's a professional athlete, and he can't turn. It's unbelievable. Yeah. One one. Ollie Watkins, big fan of Matt Cash just running from right back the whole way up to left attacking midfield with the ball. Just causing <laughs> a bit of chaos. It's shit. It, 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 what he does is he shifts players around. He commits players. John McGinn finds himself on the right then with a lot of space because the ball comes back over. It's a lovely little blind pass from him. Love that pass like where he's, he's, his body shape is facing inwards and he picks it around the outside of the what should be the left back. And then Buendia does really well. Uh, good run, gets along the byline, looks up, great pass, lovely connection from Ollie Watkins. Yeah, McGinn, McGinn does well to look for the right pass. It's a bit of composure that he is far too often lacking. And it came as a complete surprise because up until that point, he was rivaling his performance against Arsenal for the worst of his career. Yeah. And he actually underhits the pass as well. He doesn't put enough on it. It wasn't as good a pass as people like to make out. He was absolutely dreadful in that first half as well. So maybe that's why I'm being so harsh on the pass. But Dia does well to Skinner forward. Congratulations. And he gets who gets too close to him as well. Like a like Bundia doesn't take a pass for an Al's, then he might as well retire. But he does have good composure and he picks out the right pass to the right man who has a dreadful finish. And luckily Fabianski does dreadfully as well. <laughs> I don't like I thought I thought the ball came at him fast, like in a pace and direction that was going behind him so I thought it only had like the best he could have done there was just get a connection and keep it down the best a forward can do is hit the ball back towards the goalkeeper who's way off the center of his nets fuck <laughs> off Connor we need to aim higher than that <laughs> Two one, like this is really annoying because you'd see this coming, like the amount of space that the midfielders were getting. Um, it's it's Declan Rice and the canvas is running around the box, just doing shuttle runs while Declan <laughs> Rice is standing outside, completely free. Young and McGinn are overrun then by the West Ham midfielders. Martinez is shite, and it goes into the net. Yeah, we're gonna have to start believing that Martinez supports West Ham because there's <laughs> the four four shots in the last two games we've played against West Ham that Martinez has let in. I would say. I mean, yeah. there's five or six players in front of him, but given his track record, if Martinez saves the Johnson one or the Rice one, it wouldn't be a surprise or even noteworthy, really. But look, he doesn't, and we didn't deserve him to anyway. <laughs> and they're both good strikes, but particularly the Rice one, he's off the ground as the ball is being hit, and then he has to land before he can dive after the ball. It's poor technique, and it's surprising for Martinez. 
yeah, it's it's, it's surprising for Martin is is the thing. Like we just, you just don't want to associate this. Like you can get your head around how it happened, and you can talk about. You know, it was a nice tight finish to the side of the net, but yeah, it's, it's Martinez. Like we do, <laughs> I might have lower expectations of Watkins at the minute, but we don't have that for Martins. No, um, absolutely not. But he, he absolutely loves West Ham. So there you go. Yeah, three one four nils starts with a bad Watkins touch. Target goes up for a header. He is never going to win. Um, and even if he does, I don't know what use it would have been. He's completely isolated. He's gone up with Antonio, I think. Tried to clatter him. Oh, I did clatter him, but... Connor, Connor, Matt Target gets Antonio in a mid-air headlock and he still loses the tussle? What does that fucking tell you about Matt Target? <laughs> like, he had him in a headlock and Antonio wins the header? I, 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 this comes back to this habit, though, I see. Like, players need to start having a look at what's going on around them on the pitch. Like, they're so obsessed with not letting... Like, we, I think we had this against Chelsea. I talked about the throw-in where Mings was obsessed with not letting Lukaku take the ball down in his own half. Just <laughs> fucking let him have it and stay in position. Same with Nakamba when you're not going to win a ball. Stay in position. My target. There's a big high ball coming up to a West Ham player in the halfway line. Like, don't worry about it. You're outnumbered. You can see that somebody's running into your position at left back and down the right wing. Just take a step back. Like, try to slow them up. Hope the players will will join you. Hope that the pass won't make it. But like, you're not going to win that header. Like, like, you've already admitted that by trying to get him in the headlock. And yeah, you're right. He's made it way worse by not winning it after getting him in the headlock. Yeah, he's not going to win it, but also you know exactly what he's going to do. Like, he's jumping three foot in the air. What do you think he's doing? He's flicking the ball on. He's flicking it on to you if you just stand still. He can't take that down. He's flicking it on. Antonio's made a a bad decision. He's gone running in to flick a ball on. And it turns out it's a brilliant decision because he understands the players he's playing against. He understands that Aston Villa have Matt Target at left back. Uh, poor Emmy Martinez actually made a really good save and the build up yeah. to that move and deflected out and I don't know, I think it was Mings who didn't get there fast enough and the rebound was put in it's an incredible save for Martinez no it was actually our 36 year old desperately trying to get back and unsurprisingly <laughs> was very young again of course it was very young again unsurprisingly he doesn't get there I was actually thinking about him he was running down the right wing and then I think Smith was chatting him and he looked a bit fit, pissed off at Smith and uh, I was comparing him to Ronaldo. Like they're both the same age, and we're we're playing Ashley Young left back. We're playing him centre midfield. We're playing him right wing. We're playing him number ten. Like we're just flogging him like a dead horse. And like there's Cristiano Ronaldo just standing up front, volleying goals. Four <laughs> uh, one. Like the only thing really to say about this, like the floodgates had opened at that stage, but. Uh, Courtney House gets drawn out and then just gets turned. Like it's a nice turn, but like he looks like he's trying to turn an oil tanker. And by the time he gets turned around, it's like three on two in the box, and West Ham work it well and score. It's like he's trying to turn an oil tanker on his first day in the job as well in a canal. <laughs> and, and I'm so seething. All I can remember is being angry at House and Fornells rolling it across to Bowen. I, I, like, I, the mist hasn't cleared yet. I can't even remember the goal. I was so angry for the last 10 minutes of that match. Yeah. Let's do WhatsApp winges. We'll talk more about the team setup, uh, the new formation, or back to the old formation, and some other decisions after WhatsApp winges. The saddest quote I've heard in a long time came from Jimmy Floyd Hasselbink at halftime. <laughs> 
I felt like they were treating Aston Villa like they were treating Norwich. Remember that time Norwich got hammered by Liverpool and won the first games of the season two years ago, <laughs> the last time they were up? And everyone was like, Jesus, fair play to them. They were giving it a go. They were passing the ball to each other. Like, all the way looking shit. Like, that was one of my greatest calls because everybody jumped on the Norwich bandwagon and then this isn't a great call. And I was like, this team are powder puff. Like, they're not going to go anywhere. And sure enough, they got relegated. Now look at me. <laughs> <laughs> you need to cut in here sometimes and just stop me, save me from myself. But uh, give me Floyd Hasselbink. Speaking about Aston Villa, little old Aston Villa. I mean... It's only those two goals, and they came from a right back and a midfielder who don't always score. Like, they don't score that, and Villa aren't behind. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, Fuck off, Jimmy. Appreciate it, but just no, not tonight. Yeah, Jimmy Floyd Asselbank obviously hasn't watched Aston Villa play either because he was there giving it the big and saying, you know, they tried something different against Arsenal and it didn't work, but that's okay. You're allowed to try stuff. That was the third attempt at it, Jimmy. The whole of Villa Twitter is rioting here. If we didn't change tonight, that was the end of Dean Smith. <laughs> uh, anyway, what's up, Winges? I like being 1-0 down. That's how sad it is. <laughs> I fucking love being 3-0 down, Conan, as you well know. Because then we get the fucking Samba skills out. Then Douglas <laughs> Louise has his studs on the ball. He's pinging passes. That's where Aston Villa come alive. I, I don't know if you're the same, but I genuinely find myself when Villa concede, it's like a weight off the shoulders. Like it's, it's sounding like Julian Lescott because that's exactly the same <laughs> sentiment. It's like, oh, right, let's go. Like we can start now. I don't have to worry anymore. Like, you know, let's just enjoy ourselves. Let's just enjoy ourselves. <laughs> the worst has happened. The inevitable has happened. Let's just get on with it. Let's just see out the rest of this 90 minutes. And that's twice now uh, against Spurs and against West Ham. We've gone 1-0 down. I've been satisfied. Villa score, I've almost felt like, yeah, see, I was right to go 1-0 down. And then they concede straight away after they score. It's like, it shows how little respect the other teams have for them. When Villa get close, they just flick them away. I'm just actually thinking back now on Watkins' as equaliser and the fact that I actually gave it a double fist pump and the laptop nearly fell off my lap and all. How pathetic is that now, thinking back to an hour and a half ago? Christ almighty, that's grim. <laughs> Did you notice Watkins holding the ball, bit of passion, signaling to the crowd? He had one finger up, you know, just sort of giving them the, the big in. One up top, that's what I think he was saying. <laughs> oh, God, but no, it's the same. It turns out what he was saying was one goal. That's all we're getting, one goal. <laughs> uh, second WhatsApp one. What combination do you hate more? Nakamba to Target or Westwood to Sissoko? <laughs> there are so many combinations to dislike in this Aston Villa team and they all involve our supposed midfielders passing the ball back to the back four. Yeah. I, I, I think Nakamba to Target is worse though because you know they cost £26 million between them. And <laughs> this is just Nakamba picking the ball up in centre midfield, he's got the space to turn into, and he's just drilling the ball back to target, who's hooking the ball up the left wing to nobody other than the West Ham right back. Like that is, and the the repetitiveness of that is is unbelievable. And you always have to remind yourself that was twenty six million of capital. Never mind <laughs> the salaries that they've both been stealing for the last two years. 
you alluded to it in part one. Um, I I really really need to believe that my target is capable of taking the ball on the move at some stage in his career. Like I, I'm I'm just sick to death now of seeing him planted on his heels. Like, you know what? He's not even on his he's he's leaning backwards. It's not even that he's standing still. Like he's he's falling back on the ball. He's stuck to the sideline. He gives himself with no outs. Like one of the first lessons I learned when you started playing at a like, proper level is just like move like you can stop like stop standing there stop making yourself an easy target and then by doing so just closing down all your angles because you're not you're not moving you're not giving the defender anything to worry about like if you actually just pretend like that you might shape your body a different direction it it slows them up a little bit and you're right about the ones down the line as well or, or, or down to the right back i i preferred courtney house hitting it in that direction because it was get, he was getting closer to bailey than target was he was getting closer to the general direction of Bailey than Target was. <laughs> Jesus, talk about a low bar we have. Uh, third WhatsApp winch. Why does anybody need to be offside for a floating free kick coming from your own half? <laughs> Why does anybody need to play a floating free kick from your own half? I mean, I remember I said a couple of weeks ago, if that was a good way to play, we'd be doing it every every single time we had the ball. That is what we are currently doing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, floating a free kick in, like, what are you doing? Like, I've I've been on this podcast slagging off Sean Dyche. Like, how can I face our listeners, Conan, after doing that? After seeing what Dean Smith has resorted to? It's unbelievable. Do we genuinely think this is a good way to score a goal? We, we seem to, yeah. <laughs> we seem to, or like, I, I don't know, are they trying to score a goal, or are they just trying to get the ball further away from their own goals, like the, the Martin O'Neill <laughs> mantra? Well, we're hardly, it's hardly a good idea to play for nil all with our back line, is it? <laughs> Doesn't matter how far away the ball is from our goalkeeper, he's still going to be under pressure, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, the, like the, the man in question here is Tyrone Mings, of course he was going to feature on WhatsApp when he's despite uh uh, lower amount of game time today, but yeah, like just a, a ball is being flighted in the air. It's it's coming down with snow on it. Like you do not need to gain an extra yard. You're coming back to try and head it anyway. Just uh, just hold the line. Like, I like this is the problem. We're being dragged into you now, meticulously analyzing these shit passages of play. Yeah, you're right. We should probably just move on. What's the <laughs> next absolutely shitty thing that happened? <laughs> the worst one. Four WhatsApp wins. Worry about Nakamba after the fucking move. <laughs> the best, the best passes of play we put together was a sliding tackle from Matt Target and a sliding tackle from Nakamba, and then El Ghazi's away, and everybody's running over, going poor Nakamba's on the ground. John McGinn's over there starting a fight. El Ghazi was gone. The last time we saw El Ghazi, he was ripping it up against Brentford. Yeah, I mean, stopping the game to give a yellow card when. We were three on three is is really disgraceful. Firstly, because you can just play on. I mean, the game is now forty yards from the two players who are pretending to be injured. You can play advantage, Chris. You absolute bell in. He was and there's shite. a huge. I oh, was shite. And there's a huge advantage on here. And there's no head injury. Let the game play. Let El Ghazi gallop through and slice one out for a West Ham throw in by the corner flag. <laughs> I don't know, like, th- th- like this happens, right? You know, when a team's playing badly and Villa are playing really badly, getting bad results. But 
your stock does go up when you're not playing. And I am thinking, I'm remembering El Ghazi fondly now. And I do remember the Brentford game. We, we said like he ripped, he ripped, uh, was it a League Cup game against Barrow? He ripped him apart midweek, came on against, or started against Brentford then. And he was fucking amazing. 1-1, but like I've never seen him play that well ever. And then he just went out of favour then after that and hasn't really gotten a chance since. I'm 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 crying out for El Ghazi. Like talk about Conan. Conan, much much like last week, you are forgetting that El Ghazi came onto the pitch for 14 minutes, much like I did. Remember, you absolutely shut me up, silenced me by reminding me that El Ghazi was actually on the pitch last week. And other than picking up a ball after the referee had already blown the whistle today. <laughs> He once again did fuck all. How can you be dewy-eyed over Anwar El Ghazi? It was the way he picked up that ball. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you see um, Aston Villa throwing shade to the referee on their Twitter account? It was so sad. Like, we're talking about how sad it is that, that Dean Smith's a week later, six days after the Arsenal game, he's there talking about that penalty that, you know, the rebound shouldn't have been allowed to test. Shut the fuck up, Dean. Like, that was not the problem against Arsenal. We talked about this last week, but there's Aston Villa now. Uh, this is a tweet from him. Fornals is booked for an awful challenge on the Canva. Bowen is booked for shoving McGinn. And then two spaces. McGinn is then also booked. <laughs> I'd have to shut them up. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Chris Cavanagh stopping the game for a yellow ca- for eventually giving a yellow card is the only thing that's that's wrong there. Everything else is absolutely fine. Everything that happened, it was a yellow card. El Ghazi was going to miss anyway. McGinn deserved to be booked for being a whinge and a larsel. Bowen deserved to be booked for pushing McGinn. Like the, Chris Cavanagh didn't do anything wrong, other than originally stopping the game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I think I think it just stung more. People like Villa fans were booing because Fornals went on and scored. Um, and I was there thinking Villa were going to score, but maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just placing too much faith in El Ghazi picking the ball up 40 yards out on the left wing. <laughs> and that's the end of WhatsApp Winges. We will see you in the award categories after this. All these. Right, get over it. It's Aston Villa FC, not Jack Grealish FC. Get a fucking grip. <laughs> Somebody called me a wanker. Let us mourn. Somebody called me a freak. I mean, we've just gotten the news. It's devastating. We're upset. Somebody reported me to the Villa podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Did these people turn up to funerals or wakes in? Come on, get over it. It's the Doherty family, not the great Auntie Margaret family. It's time to find out what Uncle Jimmy's really made of. Time for Auntie Barbara to step up. <laughs> Fucking psychopaths, let me mourn. I'll rally around the Doherty family. I want them to do well. I want them to succeed, but I'm fucking devastated. It's not going to be the same without Margaret. R.I.P. Auntie Margaret. Okay, only one award category to start with. You let Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty. So many ways you can do this. We can break it all down in a bit, but let's just get into it. 4-3-3. Everybody called for it. What did you make of it? Look, 
if nothing else, we know that Dean Smith was watching the Arsenal and Spurs games. He, he was watching the Arsenal game a bit too intently and forgot he was supposed to be managing one of the teams. But he has finally reacted. <laughs> We've gone back to the shape that suits our players. I told I told Dean, he's obviously not listening. If he wants to play with a 10, he needs to sign a proper defensive midfielder. Mm. If he wants to play with wingbacks and he's picking target, he needs to sign his own death warrant. And <laughs> this is our best system. It gets more out of our it gets more of our best players onto the pitch and it gets them into their best positions. Or so we thought. <laughs> Turns out Leon Bailey is shite, Buendia is shite, and John McGinn is the most overrated player in the Premier League. All this crying for 4-3-3 was a waste of fucking time. Yeah, uh, 101 million, I think, our front, front three cost. Oh, thank God we got them on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, look, it, like it was a 4-3-3, but, and I'm a big fan of asymmetry, but it has to be some sort of method to that as well. Buendia was just playing as a number 10. Um, Cash was coming inside because he wanted to shoot. So you basically had nobody over on the right-hand side. Uh, West Ham, like, like they were, like when we had Grealish as well, they were very good at shutting down Bailey. Like, they're, like Boehm was working really hard on the right for them, getting back. And Villa didn't have much answers. And like, in fairness, like, we can blame the 4-3-3 or we, we can just go back to blaming the fact that they're lofting ball down the channels to nobody. Ah, yeah, like you can talk about formations all you want. It's obviously important to have a, a decent structure there where people are supposed to be as a basis, but there was absolutely nothing. There was no way out for any of the players. They weren't given any help from the manager. I don't know where, I don't know if Bailey knew where he was supposed to be when Ramsey had the ball. I don't know if, I don't know if Buendia knew where he was supposed to be in general. Coming inside, Matt Cash, what are you doing, mate? Like this is this this is one of the patterns that we've got. When D is allowed to float, but you have to play on the right wing. Yeah, we're asking you to do a lot, but you know, stop cutting inside. That's not what we're asking you to do, or at least I fucking hope it wasn't. But with <laughs> Dean Smith at the minute, it's hard to tell. Because that actually should work in theory. Like, yeah, when D goes inside, so Matt Cash holds the width, so we always have that outlet. And on the other side, like we don't really want Target getting forward that much because he's not going to get back that much. We said about him before being really good at tucking inside to the centre back and also as an option as an outlet if you want to play it back and he can cross it from deep like he did with Grealish and on that other side it should have been Bailey we should have been sicking him with ball to his feet not just they go up and try and win a header against a right back with um but like yeah I've, I've made some target now so probably these are two nominations and one Dean Smith made a big call and he dropped Tyrone Mings that was one nomination and the other nomination is he didn't have the balls to drop my target and yet he was so keen to get Ashley Young on the pitch we'll talk about him in the next nomination but uh, it's not like there was nobody there who could have played instead of my target yeah exactly Tyrone Mings is is many things but a player in form and an undroppable player or a guaranteed starter he is most definitely not I mean particularly when you have Twan Zabi and House in the squad Tyrone Mings had put himself under so much pressure this season with his performances that were just not anywhere near the required standard. And if it wasn't for the armband, he would have been dropped, rotated, however you want to view it, a lot sooner. I think it was a really easy decision for Dean Smith to make when he was going back to forward the back. The last time House played, he was brilliant. The last time Tyrone Mings played, he was a shambles. Not playing or continuing to play at Matt Target is baffling. It's absolutely baffling to me. You've already had to drop him once this season. And it's not like he's done anything since he's come back into the team. 
to justify that that second life he's been given. I don't know what it is. Like I don't get why like, why we continue with that risk. Like, yeah, he's he's not giving us anything to to make it worth it. And yeah, like I, I can see the the house thinking as well because like we had been so bad from set pieces defending our own set pieces. So big house has been so imposing from that. Like we 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 call him fifty p head and jest for our attacking set pieces, but it's it's only because. He's so dominant that he always gets his head to it and, and rarely scores. He scored an absolute screamer against United. Never forget that. But um, the fact that he's always there and always winning that ball, it, it probably made sense for Villa, who had been weak in that front. And like we looked at Tyrone Mings and McGinn's sort of cocking up against... Oh, what game was that now? Were they having arguments about it all? Was it against Arsenal? It was the last game. It was against Arsenal. Yeah, um, yeah just brought House in. Let him go and attack them a bit more. And as it turned out... It was Target who let them the first goal like that. Like it, it was down to him. Like I think a more experienced defender. The way Ashley Young showed that he was when he played there, when he came on against Watford, and when he played there the next game, I think it's just a ready-made replacement. Just put him in there. Yeah, and like like I've said before, Matt Target was good whenever Villa tightened up and they you know they tried to defend really deeply with Matt Target tucked right in next to to Terrell Ming, so he couldn't be exposed. Because either Jack Grealish or Amar El Ghazi was also covering the left back spot, and whenever Villa tried to open up a little bit more at the start of the season, he was massively exposed because he doesn't have the pace to recover when he's out of position. But today, he had that cover. Everybody was tucked in. Leon Bailey was back. He was absolutely useless at it. But so was Jack Grealish, and Matt Target was still absolutely shit despite the amount of players that he had around him. Matt Target needs to be taken out of the team for his own good as well as ours. I always think as well when it's going badly for Target, he knows it. And I don't like that in a player as well. Um, but there's some players who don't recover and you can just tell that they know that there's wankers like us whinging about them. <laughs> um, fourth nomination, uh, you said I, you said Tyrone Mings is a lot of things. Ashley Young is a lot of things. Um, I guess a <laughs> midfielder. Is one of them. So when Jacob Ramsey got injured, I got excited. I thought, here's here's my chance. I've been crying about Carney Chuck Wemaka. But see Aaron Ramsey on the bench. And then it's Ashley Young who comes in. And we think that they might be a rejig. No, Ashley Young is coming in to once again play centre midfield. Yeah, look, Nakamba, Ashley Young and John McGinn must be the worst midfield to ever be on the pitch at the same time in the Premier League. The Premier League, Conan. <laughs> Nakamba, Young, and John McGinn. Yeah. And yes, Chuck Wemeke is 18, but he's also a centre midfielder. He mightn't be ready, but let's find out. He has so little experience at this level. Suchek and Rice are class. But do you know who else has so little experience of playing in centre midfield? Ashley fucking Young. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember I said I want Chuck Wemeke in the leadership group at Aston Villa and you want them in there swinging his dick I want them banging on Dean Smith's door tomorrow now and saying what like what is going on like wh- why is Ashley Young playing ahead of me I respect him good fella look up to him he's doing a lot for me off the pitch here but I'm a better centre midfielder give me the chance coach put me in yeah and that is one of many questions that Dean Smith has to face over the next couple of days uh, fifth nomination you're not going to like this one because you never like these ones Smith and Villa's inability to impose themselves on referees. 
I, I just think I just think this stuff doesn't happen to Fergie. I think Hansa doesn't get sent off. I think uh, I think the Foreign Owls challenge is looked at a bit more closely. I I, I just think Villa, you know, I, like it wasn't the reason they lost, but I I feel like the referee was was on their case. I could see him having a laugh and a joke with Suchek and the boys. Um, West Ham were the favourites, so sometimes it's easier than they go along that way, especially when they're playing the better football. I just think. I just think somebody who was on his case from the start would have put him under a bit more pressure and it would have gotten Villa Park on his case a bit more. Instead, Smith's there to sort of have a go with the fourth official, who's then proceeding to seemingly give Dean Smith a lecture. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. I want a manager telling them what's what when they come to Villa Park. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Chris Kavanagh definitely strikes me as somebody who can be got at, but you also don't know how that getting at him is going to turn out. I mean, he could just as easily say, well, fuck you then. And, you know, as <laughs> the metaphorical equivalent of taking his ball and going home and he could just start fucking Villa over. That also just wouldn't surprise me. So, like, what you do is you play decent football. What you do is you set your team up with a way to play. The players have to then do that as well when they're on the pitch. Forget about the referee. You make the referee... You, you make the referee irrelevant. That's what you should be. That's what the manager's job is. Do you know I was uh, coaching a GA team before? We're in a final. Everything going really well. They sent off two of our players. Completely unjustified. I actually texted a boy about this yesterday. It was seven years ago. <laughs> I saw him tweeting about one of these referees, how he deserves to do this final. And I was like, I will never, ever forgive him for his cowardice decision seven years ago in an under-16 match. And uh, But... As this was happening, I was losing the plot in the sideline, and then I turned to the fourth official, who was like the referee's coordinator, and I was working the local paper at the time, and I was like, I'm going to write a piece about this in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking pathetic. If that didn't work, I don't, I don't know what you expect Dean Smith to do. I mean, if that's the type of persuasion that doesn't work, what can Dean Smith possibly do? Yeah, I just want to see a clip someday, you know, when, those, when Sky Sports are showing referees and stuff walking in early doors into Villa Park. I want to see Smith welcoming him with like a hand on his shoulder as he's shaking his hand or a hand on his chin as he's shaking his hand just to just to impose that bit of control over him. I don't a know, hand on his him. chin? <laughs> on his neck, you know what I mean? You know that power play? <laughs> right, right. Do you want to get him in his chokehold and say, enjoy the game, Chris? I think the this is a tough one. Actually, the winner for this category it's it's either target not being dropped or it's young coming on for Ramsey. I I I just think it's really really worrying. I don't think this has ever happened before where you have had five nominations against Dean Smith. Yeah, and Dean Smith does have a lot of things to answer for. And one thing, one thing I don't think he has to answer for is that people need to stop mentioning the amount of money that has been spent since he took over. That's really yeah. annoying. And the first reason is that, and it's important people remember this, Aston Villa had two permanent players that were good <laughs> enough for the Premier League. Two. Yeah. McGinn is the only one that still plays for us. The other is gone. And 80 of the, mo- most, or the much quoted 300 million has been spent on replacing him. There were five other players in the team that were good enough for a mid-table side in the Premier League, who were all on loan. We've had to sign them as well. Mings, Kanza, Twanzebe was replaced by was replaced by Kanza. El Ghazi and House were made permanent. And we eventually signed Watkins to replace Abraham. I mean, that's 
that's 75 million just to have the same team that got us promoted. The 80 yeah. million from Grealish replacements. That's 155 million of just standing still money to have half of the starting lineup to finish fifth in the championship. We spent 26 million on two brilliant goalkeepers because Smith had taken over a squad with five goalkeepers that you would be uncomfortable playing behind you in a game of bubble football on a stag night. <laughs> 26 million on two fullbacks because our best fullback was a 33 year old converted winger whose biggest fan is an inept cabbage head by his own admission. <laughs> We ended up sacking the man who spent nearly sixty million on Wesley, Samagol, Jota, Engels, and Nakamba, and their absolute dung pile that they were signed to replace. I've gone through them before, you know. Oh, Dalat, Shubala, Bjarnason, Whelan, Richards, McCormack, Adoma, Lansbury, Hogan, Scott Hogan. Oh, like, so Villa have gone from having McGinn and Grealish and fuck all else. To have a McGinn and a mid-table Premier League squad for a net spend of two hundred million across three seasons, and that is just the cost of establishing yourself in the Premier League. Like little old Brighton and Hove Albion have a net spend of two hundred million in their first three years. They're talking about how much money Smith has spent is a red herring, but not only that, it's also unnecessary. Yeah. All we need to do is look at the players that Aston Villa now have and ask: Is this squad better than mid-table? Or more importantly, given how the last 11 months have gone, is this squad better than a point a game? Could a good manager get more from this bunch of players? And I think the answer is emphatically yes. Villa lost their best player, who Smith had gone all in on. And it'll take time to recover from that and find a new way of playing. But Smith hasn't handled that loss well at all. There's so much incoherence. Dreadful football. How he's handled, Even how he's handled having two good centre-forwards has been pathetic. The identity of the team is just indecipherable. The identity of... We've got the identity of a hungover Norman Bates. Like We're a mess. We don't know who we are. Forget about the formation talk. How we're playing just isn't good enough. Individual performances, which Smith is ultimately accountable for. But also how those players are being helped by Smith with the patterns and structure and everything you would expect a football manager to have in place. And the really frustrating thing is that Dean Smith has shown he's a good manager. Far too long ago now, but he has shown it. He improved us every year. With Grealish, Villa had a points per game that had them on 65 points. That's impressive. Mm. And I'm probably also prepared to give him slightly longer than I would another manager because of the romanticism, because he was integral to the resurrection and because he's a good man. But by the time we beat Norwich on the 14th of December, we'll have lost 10 games in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just be off the back of a 10-0 defeat to Liverpool. The, Dean Smith has got a lot of work to do, particularly over the next three games. The next three games against teams at our level, he absolutely has to get seven points from it, or the noise is going to become absolutely deafening. I think that's all fair. And yeah, like we're going into three games against teams at our level, but... Yeah, our level shouldn't be, you know this, and Smith, I hope, fucking knows this, shouldn't be getting absolutely trounced by West Ham at home 4-1 in a game that you never looked like you were going to compete in and getting absolutely trounced by Arsenal. And yeah, and like maybe he's giving a different message to the players and stuff, but we talked about this at the time, but like we would just prefer him to come out after the Arsenal game and say, that was shit. 
it's not good enough. I'm going to address it. You know, that that's the one thing you'd worry about when things aren't improving, that you wonder, does he actually believe what he's saying then when he's saying, well, you know, we were really good for 80 minutes against Wolves, blah, blah, blah. Like, again, I don't want to go for the same ground, but... I know. Yeah, I, I think I think that's his style. I don't think Dean Smith is ever going to come out and slaughter his players. And I think fair enough. Yeah, I, I do think that's fair enough as well. But he could come out and be more generic about it. it wasn't good enough from the players, and it wasn't good enough for me. Yeah, he, he can say that. He doesn't have to do a Jose Mourinho and start talking about how shit my target is. <laughs> Leave that to me. That's fine. Like you know, that's covered. People are hearing that. Yeah. Dean Smith doesn't need to say it. But like that's it. the the money thing though as well is is um it it, it is a red herring you're right and like to, yeah to have like Villa I think Villa had twelve players when they got promoted like so you had to buy a squad you've gone through it all there and and yeah like it's that's also pointless just like you just regardless of the money is this good enough like you said um let's move on to a different award category the Peter Enkelman what the fuck award stacked again but um john mcginn's 30 yard one two attempt with bailey <laughs> <laughs> who we had three seconds to see wasn't looking or going back for that one two into three west ham defenders just that summed up john mcginn i think yeah it was pathetic <laughs> <laughs> um well we'll rattle through these because we're going on long enough here leon bailey's long throw is probably the one we want to talk about <laughs> Oh my god, do we want to talk about that? I mean, they try it, he doesn't have a long throw. Leon Bailey cannot throw the football any longer than any other footballer. Why is he being tasked with why is Tyrone Mings or Courtney House coming up for this? It's absolutely insane. Sorry, let me rephrase this nomination. Leon Bailey's throw. <laughs> just just a normal throw that we had what 50 second build up to and he, he hit the first man and there was about three west ham players before the first villa player he hit the first man who was just at the edge of the box I know. that's a 15 yard throw footballs are really light <laughs> um next nomination it's it's two and it happened twice uh, summed up villa Targets passed to Bailey out for a throw. Buendia is passed to Watkins out for a throw. <laughs> down the wing. Yeah, targets one from the targets uh, pass out for a throw to Buendia from the center circle is the worst thing that happened oh, this yeah. season. Don't forget about that. Don't you ever forget about that, Connor? <laughs> Next nomination: targets passed to Buendia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the new other one I have is. <laughs> this was a mad one do you know an injury time there Cash had that pathetic penalty appeal he was running inside and he just yeah. went down easy Tyrone Mings lost the ball to someone who wasn't even playing anymore this this person was also appealing to the referee <laughs> and Mings just runs into him and somehow he manages to lose the ball to him and I was like, what has happened there he, he, he was dribbling and someone who was no longer playing was suddenly carrying the ball away because he was naturally walking in a different direction <laughs> oh, oh Christ almighty I think the Leon Bailey long throw was the winner though right I think it has to be the winner because it happened twice <laughs> and not only, not only did it happen twice in the game they must have seen him do it or not do it in training yeah. They couldn't have known. They must have known that Leon Bailey can't throw the ball for. I don't know what happened there. 
yeah, that that's the winner. Like Austin McPhee is getting a lot of money here. <laughs> to, to watch Leon Bailey take it through and wait all the defenders. Also, he's also getting an inordinate amount of uh, camera time. Like this is this is worse than Scott Parker. The camera is just constantly being thrown to our set piece specialist. What is that about? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He's <laughs> the fifth or sixth most important player person in the Aston Villa staff, and he's never off the fucking air. That's so true. Like I never see Craig Shakespeare unless he's chatting to Dean Smith. Yeah, less said um, about that, the better. <laughs> Only one nomination for the Ronnie Rossenthal Award. Ollie Watkins off the bar from a nice chip from McGinn. Um, Watkins should have done better. He was trying to head it across the goals, and it's come off the other side of his head and gone towards the keeper again. <laughs> yeah, McMings does well, McGinn does well, Watkins does poorly, and Fabianski does fabulously. It's, it's a really good save from Fabianski, who could not have possibly known that Ollie Watkins was going to miscontrol his header. There was also one in the first half, though, where John McGinn pops up in the on the penalty spot and reveals that he's afraid of the football and doesn't properly head the ball, and it just gives him a oh, yeah. haircut and goes out for a goal kick. Yeah. See, like sometimes when these chances end up being so far away from a goal, like you just forget about it. Yeah, and to be honest, that's probably better for you. <laughs> uh, the Vyman meter going up. Matt Cash, um, I thought he was decent, and he had a really nice goal saving clearance from Four Nals when the game actually mattered earlier on. Yeah, that was an incredible piece of play, and it was the last good thing that Aston Villa did other than the goal. Yeah, well, two two pieces of play that Aston Villa had in the game, and that was one of them, and it was brilliant. To be fair, sort of sums up what happened out there and how bad Villa are. I have one more nomination for going up, Ezra Konza, because that's his first yellow card of the season. I I wrote that before he ended up getting sent off. <laughs> Why is he going up for getting booked? Oh, he hasn't been booked all season. Oh, sorry, sorry, that is incredible. That is incredible. He had one down the wing as well, where he looked like Antonio had gotten ahead of him, and yeah. then he just turns on the afterburners and wins the ball back. The way he moves his feet is just so, so good. He never seems to be out of control, and that's why he doesn't get booked. Yeah. So nimble for such a strong man. I just love yeah. him, and I can't, I don't want to watch Villa when he's not playing next week. Like that, that's, that's terrible. Fuck. <laughs> Back to the back five, baby. <laughs> uh, last one going up. My halftime bet. West Ham four, Aston Villa one, 11 to one. Are you joking me? I'm you absolute serious. bastard. <laughs> I'll, I'll put in a picture of it later if nobody believes me. But uh, yeah, a 12, 12 quid lift there. Nice, nice job. Delighted for you. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> um... Going down. Let's go. Going down. Aston Villa Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> one point from well, averaging one point a game. They are going down, and they're going down fast to the championship. Yeah, it's not good. Um, like we don't have, we, we don't have those three absolute no hopers that we had last year to save us. We do have Norwich and Newcastle. We do have Leeds signing Dan James as if he's going to improve their squad. So, you know, there is a little bit of hope, but you can't have your season strategy being relying on Norwich being Norwich, Steve Bruce being manager in Newcastle because he's gone now, and relying on the fact that Legionnaire to think Dan James is an upgrade on whatever other players they had. 
Yeah. Going down this line from Christian Perslow, Emiliana Buendia, Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, they <laughs> truly are the future. They're the future of me having a fucking aneurysm. <laughs> Going down, not buying a midfielder. Yeah. It's it's absolutely it's absolutely insane. It's it's bizarre because it was so obvious that we needed one. And it's even more bizarre because Dean Smith clearly wants to play with a number ten, so he needs a midfielder. And if he doesn't know that, then you can forget about Dean Smith as a manager. He has to be able to see that. Going down next, and I assume you have him on the list anyway, is Marvelous Nakamba. And this is this is just emblematic of what you said there. The fact that we have to bring in Marvelous Nakamba in two and a half hours before the game, we had Marvelous Nakamba posting a picture of himself looking fucking terrified. I can only assume someone had just passed him the ball when the photo was being taken. It was like he tapped into my soul because I was really worried. I'm always worried with Marvelous Nakamba. He doesn't know how to defend and he doesn't want the football. And I don't want them to have it either, to be fair. I mean, we've gotten rid of Wesley, Samagol, Jada, Engels, and the man who brought them in. Nakamba has to be next. Yeah. And we're all the better for it. Like, we're not saying he's not a we're not saying he's a bad lad or anything. Like we know he tries, but well, he tries in the sense that he runs, but like sometimes he's not he's not running smart and sometimes he's running completely out of position and Villa are conceding the third goal to put the game to bed. No, like yeah, and uh, honestly, God, like honestly, God, when you go a man down, like you can't have Nakamba on the pitch anymore because you're already a man down in a sense that he's he's not going to contribute anything to the ball. So you're sitting <laughs> the time with eight outfield players, and now you're playing with a two man midfield again, and it's McGinn again, and it's Nakamba alongside him in a four four formation. It's um ah, uh, like you can't, you can't, you can't we ha- we have to just start thinking bigger than him. I think. Ah, yeah, like we're not going to get into the game playing four four one with. Marvellous Nakamba is one of the centre midfielders in our team. It's just not, it was never going to happen. I just thought we would have been a bit braver and gone 4 3 2 and I, I asked Target or get Target off and ask uh, Cash to push on a bit further, put Young to the left back. Yeah, but you see, he had to go 4 4 1 so that we could tighten up and not concede another two goals. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's that's all I think for Aston Villa I think we're going to take a breather here and we'll get into questions we can't answer which will be a bit more fun see you there <laughs> I forgot to mention when you talk about Marvellous Nakamba and his picture before uh, the game somebody tweeted him to say remember your position today you're a defensive midfielder don't get caught <laughs> too high off the pitch <laughs> cover the space that is just like when, when he's been told that like that's worrying well we can just assume that marvelous nakamba like every other pathetic footballer has a social media team that are not reading the tweets <laughs> uh yeah anyway questions we can't answer but probably will leicester nil arsenal two liverpool two brighton two newcastle nil chelsea three why did I read that one? Man City nil, Crystal Palace two, Tottenham nil, Man United three. We're standing the Chelsea result. What the fuck happened yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just got into that mode of the boy who reads for the BBC. You got some nil, Chelsea three. Oh yeah. 
Well, the day started off with Michael Arteta making you look like a tit. <laughs> Proving you wrong, showing that he is up to it by getting hammered by Leicester. And after two years in the job, he's got Arsenal back to within just one place of where they finished under Unai Emery. <laughs> well, actually, the day started off with Mikel Arteta bandying off suggestions that he is the next Barcelona manager. There you go, and he, and he showed why that is the type of football that Barcelona need to play. They need to get back to basics, Connor. They need to get back to having a goalkeeper desperately keeping him into the game and scoring from set pieces. The old Barcelona way. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because I thought, ah, oh, these Arsenal boys getting a bit carried away, aren't they? They beat Spurs, who are shite. They had two, I'd say, bad enough draws. Beat Villa, who are shite. I thought, oh, let's just wait. I'm waiting in the long grass here. Once Leicester chin them, I'm going to bring them up in this section. But maybe we should leave that for another week, should we? <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that for another week with your constant Aaron Ramsdale questioning as well. Not a, not a good not a good week for Conan. <laughs> for Conan, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool fans are freaking out. I I, I did a points per game. Like, and this is the problem. Like. Not that they're spoiled, right? But uh, because Man City have done so well over the last few years, like every time Liverpool drop points, it's it's crisis mode, and uh, like they're, they're going to drop points. They're not they're not going to win every game, and they so drew it home to to Brighton. Now it's probably annoying because they were two 0 up. Definitely, that's why it's annoying. But uh, their points per game at the minute is, is eighty four, and they've played Chelsea, Man City, and United. So. Uh, by my calculations, I don't know how accurate they are, but I'd say they're on course for 87 points. And if they don't win the league of 87 points, then fuck the league. <laughs> Go for 87 points, that's what I say, and then worry, like, let, let, let the cards fall where they will. Yeah, they're fucking unbeaten. They relax. What I would give to have a performance like that yesterday and still come away with an unbeaten record after 10 games, fuck me. And the only annoying thing about yesterday, or the most annoying thing about yesterday, was that we had Sky's bonkers decision to have Liverpool, Chelsea and City all kick off at 3 o'clock, so yeah. we could get Norwich and Leeds on at 2 today. That's so annoying. Like, fuck me. And yeah, there's a big club bias, and we want Sky to dispense with that. But when it comes to the fixtures, give me Aston Villa and the title race, for fuck's sake. Everton and Wolves on Monday Night Football, wise up. Like Liverpool, Brighton, Aston Villa hero, Graham Potter, three games undefeated now against Klopp to add his glowing CV of resurrecting Brighton after Chris Houghton's disastrous 15th and 17th place finishes by finishing 15th and 16th. <laughs> and and the way he's coached Wepu to mishit crosses so that they catch the keeper out and catch the sun on the way into the net is just absolute genius. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm obviously only joking, but I'm also being serious. No, I, I like Potter. I like Potter, obviously. But when I when I start turning on people like Potter, it's probably time to start turning the podcast off. But if if you're asking for Dean Smith's head and your answer is definitively Graham Potter, I'm going to need to see your working out. Like, uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm open for all discussions. Yeah, I won't. I won't shut anybody down. Um, I say in the football world, it's a bit of crack. Like that's what we do it for. But uh, that that there there is a, a sort of cognitive dissonance is the right term. But there's just not a lot of 
follow through with the thinking in terms of get rid of Dean Smith and I just don't know if it's thought completely through where I'm worried that John Terry would come in if we got rid of him. Um, I don't know if like you know, Graham Potter is that big a step up. Like Graham Potter's sitting right there. It's not like the Pochettino case where he was sitting for over a year and Solskjaer as well. Like, so it's two extremes. Solskjaer was the United manager. Or he still is. <laughs> but um, like that, that, that was a more obvious play to go and improve your club instantly. Yeah, no, it was absolutely. Graham Potter obviously has got Brighton playing a better brand of football, but they're still getting the same results. They're still finishing 15th and 16th, and people need to relax 10 games into the season. Maybe they will do well, but sometimes teams like Sheffield United do really well and then come bottom of the league as one of the worst teams of all time. Sometimes teams like Leeds do really well and then are a fucking shambles the next season, and they're only beating Norwich and are one of the favourites for relegation the next year. Let's see how this pans out for Graham Potter. Yesterday, Liverpool were... I, I would be annoyed if I was a Liverpool fan yesterday as well. They were absolutely dreadful in the second half. They were so heavy-legged. Oxlade-Chamberlain... Oxlade-Chamberlain played one delicious ball and then just served up a tin of spam for the rest of the game. Jota played with all the all the composure of Diana Ross at USA 94. Minamino came on, right? And Minamino fought... He'd be useful by standing next to Canadi and then just overrunning the ball five or six times. <laughs> like it's just a bizarre, a bizarre decision to bring him on to centre midfield, get him to stand next to the centre half, and then just let him run and lose the ball over and over again. It was a bad day at the office, but like I said, like I said, if Aston Villa have a bad day at the office like that and they stay unbeaten after ten games, Jesus Christ, inject it. <laughs> and Liverpool need. Some centre midfield back up. Ashley Young is sitting right there, ready to look. <laughs> and we are ready to sell him. <laughs> uh, Jack Grealish is tweeting or he's Instagramming about Aston Villa beforehand, saying, Come on, Villa. Read into that what you will. But <laughs> <laughs> I will say one thing it does annoy me that everyone was so quick to predict that Pep Guardiola is going to instantly make a player out of Jack Grealish. You know, like, this is going to be the making of him. And like, and every player that gets touched by the presence of, of Pep Guardiola, they instantly improve. That's what we're told. His coaching is just on another level. When he gets a player who's ready-made, who's worth 100 million, and he's fucked him up, nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to want to talk about that. Yeah, well, like, he's not necessarily fucked him up. I'm sure overall Pep was so, so happy with the performance yesterday, you would not believe it. Uh, <laughs> that was funny because you did it in a dairy accent. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing about uh, Man City's performance yesterday, and kind of linked to Jack Grealish, is that Emmerich Laporte was dicking around with the ball for the first goal and then dicking around on Saha's back to get himself sent off. And we all know what that means, Conan. A new £60 million centre-half is incoming, and we need to be careful about what's going to happen to Esri Conza. Uh, why did you say that? I just have to poke the bear, keep myself amused. <laughs> no, that's not funny. Like that. My, my friend Steve has been playing football manager with Aston Villa, and he got a £63 million bid from Newcastle for Esri Conza. And he was like, oh my God, oh my God, like, you know, what, what a fucking bid. I didn't think they would bid that much. And I was like, wait, you're top four? Why the fuck would you sell him? I was getting invested in him selling as a football manager. What do you need the money for? You've got the team. You'll only try and buy a player better on him and you won't find it. 
<laughs> yeah, and you need to calm down and tell everyone else that. I mean, we did that with Jack Grealish as well. We went out on a limb to tell everyone how big of a tit Gareth Southgate was. And look how that worked out for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and finally, I kept Cristiano Ronaldo in my fantasy team, which you'll be happy to hear. I'm delighted. Everybody was... They were, they were leaving. They were all packing up because he was too dear. We were told that Salah was the only expensive player that was worth it. And I thought, ah, nah, this is like your Spurs are shit. This has a Ronaldo winner and Instagram posts written all over. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, this is United came shortly after they, they won 3-0 and an amazing volley and good assist from Ronaldo. Yeah. Like before the game, we had the, the highest profile analyst in the country and worse the manager of the highest profile team in the country is actively promoting the attacking game plan of playing five at the back with two defensive midfielders so that Fernandez, Cavani and Ronaldo could just figure it out for themselves. Like actively promoting the defensive game plan of and the idea that the only way that team could be expected to keep a clean sheet is by playing five at the back with two defensive midfielders. Like nothing, nothing better sums up the shambles that Man United have been over the last five years than looking at your £50 million right back, four times Champions League and World Cup winning centre half, the most defensive, the most expensive defender of all time and the most expensive teenager at one time of all time and deciding we need to get Victor Lindelof in there with them. <laughs> and the, the worst thing is that it fucking worked. <laughs> <laughs> they, they kept the clean sheet by clogging their own half and Fernandez, Ronaldo and Cavani they did figure it out they figured out that Ben Davis and Eric Dyer are the Spurs left hand side <laughs> and they brilliantly took advantage of it and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took home £250,000 of money job done <laughs> I did I don't want to keep harping back to the summer and to Gary Neville specifically but when I saw this, when I saw it in action, initially I heard Gary Neville talk about a back five, and then I uh, saw saw the United team. Couldn't believe that they've gone for it. Um, and then I, I was watching it unfold, and I was I was I was laughing initially because they they were just playing hoofball as well. Like they were just so concerned with not conceding. Like 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 you say, they had no plan for trying to score. It was just the hope that Ronaldo would, you know, do something that he could do, and Cavani could do something that he could do, and. Uh, I was looking at Shaw, like Shaw was sort of standing left back, not realizing he is now responsible for the whole left-hand side of attack. And they stand there alongside Harry Maguire and the size of Harry Maguire. And, uh, <laughs> and I just thought of that moment where inexplicably, Gary Neville just said, Harry Maguire is England's most important player because he's the only way they can play a back four. <laughs> But Manchester United, with Raphael Varane, <laughs> cannot do it. They cannot do it. They have to play a back five. That's the only way it can work. Everybody needs a bit of help from Victor Lindelof from time to time. Yeah, like it was, it was a really bizarre performance. They just looked like they couldn't. They were afraid. Like They didn't know when to go forward. They, they actually looked, like Luke Shaw looked like he had been told that you let those three figure it out. You're not to get involved under any circumstances with that attack. Like, those boys, if they can't figure it out, I don't know what I'm going to fucking do about it. <laughs> but I know you're not going to do anything about it either. You're staying back there. I suppose the last question we can't answer is, is Aston Villa's defensive demise linked to John Terry leaving? 
<laughs> Not a humble pie in this part of the podcast this week. <laughs> I I just can't imagine. I just cannot. I can't believe that John Terry is a good coach. I just I just can't see it. There, there, there is a huge difference from being on the pitch to being off the pitch, understanding what's happening. Some people just have really good intuition for how to stop players, and you just can't figure it out. You, you can't tell how they can do it. So many times where you've faced a defender and their body shape is just perfect, and you just all your options are cut off, despite the fact that every player in your team is free as well. You can't figure it out. Your head's scrambled. You've just been cut off by a brilliant defender. And that's not necessarily coaching. Dragging somebody up the pitch for you, telling them to stand here, pulling in your fullback, that, that's all intuition. Looking at that off the pitch is entirely different. And look, Aston Villa have been an absolute fucking disaster this season from defence, and John Terry has also left. <laughs> there are two things that have happened. Liam, <laughs> Liam refuses to comment on whether or not they are linked. <laughs> And we'll leave you with that. Another bad day at the office. Uh, we'll see you next Friday and hope for better. But sure, I'm making no promises. <laughs> All the best. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.